0: Welcome to Eczema Breakthroughs, brought to you by Global Parents for Eczema Research, or Cheaper. This show features conversations between parents of children with eczema and the world's leading scientists and researchers who study eczema. Global Parents for Eczema Research is an international network of parents that advocates for better treatments and management options for children with eczema. Jeeper is led and comprised of parents of children with eczema and was formed in 2015 to address the critical need for research that answers questions of importance to patients and families. Learn more about Jeeper and subscribe to the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast at parentsforeczemaresearch.org. Hello, everyone,
1: and welcome to the fifth Food Allergy Fund Summit and welcome to our panel, The Eczema and Food Allergy Connection, Research Insights and Strategies. I'm Susan Weissman. I'm a food allergy research advocate and author, and with me today is Corey Kapoza. She is the founder and executive director of Global Parents for Eczema Research. We have some extraordinary doctors with us today, so I'm gonna quickly pass the baton to Corey, who's going to introduce them.
2: Great, well, thank you, Susan, and welcome everybody to the panel. Special thank you to our friends at the Food Allergy Fund for organizing this particular panel on the intersection of eczema and food allergies. And we're really excited to be co-hosting today. I'm gonna to introduce our panelists, Dr. Michael Pistiner, who is a Director of Food Allergy Advocacy Education and Prevention for the Mass General Hospital for Children's Food Allergy Center. He has special interests in food allergy and anaphylaxis education and advocacy, infant food allergy management, and facilitating collaborations between the medical home and school health. He is author of Everyday Cool with Food Allergies and co-author of Living Confidently with Food Allergy, which is a handbook. His most recent research explores food allergy risk in infants with eczema. So welcome Dr. Pistiner. And then our second panelist is Dr. Corinne Keats. She is an associate professor of pediatrics at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. She specializes in treating pediatric allergic diseases and has a particular focus on food allergies. She's active in conducting clinical epidemiologic and translational research into the prevention and treatment of food allergies. And she is NIH-supported principal investigator for several studies, including the Sunbeam study, which is a really groundbreaking observational study of pregnant women and children zero to three that will examine the origins of allergic disease using a systems biology approach. So welcome to you both to the panel. Thank you. Uh, But we wondered if you could talk a little bit about this relationship between eczema and food allergies, which can be really perplexing for parents. So I'm going to kick it off with kind of an overview question first. Uh, And we'll start with you, Dr. Pistiner, and then Dr. Keese, you can add um, your additional thoughts. It's hard to kind of tease out cause and effect. You know, how are they related? Which one's causing the one or the other? And it's been put this way, which I thought was such a great way of phrasing it, that through the skin, food allergies begin, and through the diet, food allergies stay quiet. But still, you know, what's that about? And if you could really kind of explain more and just give a bit of an overview as to what we know about this relationship, understanding that it's still evolving very quickly.
3: To start with the through the skin food allergies begin, um, there's a thought right now, a uh, something called a dual exposure hypothesis, where the thought is, is that the skin is the sensitizing root, um, meaning that through the skin. If someone were to come in contact with allergen, then that can cause the development of food allergies, the sensitization to the food to potentially um, grow into having food allergies. The gut is thought to be the tolerizing route. So if someone isn't already allergic to a food, if they consume the food early before they had the opportunity to be sensitized, then that would push them in the direction of not developing an allergy. So you could think about that as a balance uh, between tolerance through the oral route and sensitization through the skin. So why kids with eczema, some thoughts also are that kids with eczema may have decreased barrier function. They also might have inflammation under their red, angry, eczematous skin. And There we can have cells called antigen presenting cells like dendritic cells that can then meet some of these allergens if they're routinely being mashed into the skin and then potentially sensitize a child.
2: Can you talk a little bit about what's going on when parents of kids with eczema observe that when their child eats a food, they get an eczema flare and how that's different?
3: So what I just was addressing before through the skin is how allergies begin. Now we're talking about a kid already has a food allergy. Sometimes if a child who has a food allergy eats a food that they're allergic to, then in addition to other symptoms, you can also have flaring of your eczema. So a kid now who has eczema and established food allergy eats a food. Now you can have eczema flaring. So if someone is managing their three or four year old and Now they're noticing these patterns that when they eat, let's say, for example, dairy, their eczema gets worse. In the past, some people were thinking that it was the food allergy that caused the eczema in the first place. But now we're recognizing that perhaps it's the eczema first, then the development of the food allergy and then the flaring of the eczema when you have an allergic exposure. Mm-hmm. this is where I'll I'll punt it to uh, Dr. Keat, where the Sunbeam trial and some of the work that she's done kind of gets at some of that timing.
4: Great. And Dr. Keat, did you want to add to that? I, you know, I think in the past, we used to think that food allergy, as you mentioned, caused eczema. Uh, and now moving more towards, in most cases, that the eczema might lead to the food allergy and animal models, if you inflame the skin, it can cause inflammation in the gut. And so we know that, and you can get sensitized through the skin. We know that 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 may be the case for many, in many cases. It's probably a little more complicated than that in that, you know, there are are cases, you know, where the eczema and the food allergy are sort of joint manifestations of the same underlying tendency, and certainly cases where the food allergy can make the eczema worse. Um, But in general, we've definitely moved towards thinking that the skin is sort of driving the food allergy rather than the other way around for Mm -hmm. the most part.
2: Yeah, thank you for that. I think the the one thing I will mention from the parent community is that sometimes when the eczema is really flared up and you're trying to figure out what's going on so you take your child to get an allergy test, you come back finding out they're allergic to everything. Because their system is so amped up and they're so reactive, and the Ig levels are so high that it it it's hard at that point to really figure out what's going on with your child. So, definitely a complex relationship.
4: Yes, we definitely see that as as physicians that people kids with bad eczema when you do allergy testing that they come back you know, positive to everything in most cases that does not mean that they're truly allergic to everything um, because. That there are a lot of false positives in these tests, and there seem to be a really a lot of false positives amongst children with eczema. So I just be cautious. You know, we try to avoid doing those kind of blanket testing that maybe was done more in the past to try to see whether what something is could be contributing to eczema, because in most cases they're not contributing to the eczema, and you can get down a road where you're starting to avoid a lot of foods.
2: Mm-hmm. So particularly when your child is really you know, that's a tough time to tease out these really tricky relationships for sure. Susan, I'll, I'll pass it to you maybe for the next
1: question. Dr. Keats, actually, since our thinking has been so refreshed of late, I'd love if you would explain the thinking behind the sunbeam study and what you hope to learn, because we seem to be in a transitional place.
4: Yeah, so we're really excited about the Sunbeam study, which is starting to enroll at a variety of sites around the um, country. And the Sunbeam study is a birth cohort where we're enrolling pregnant women, and they don't have to be pregnant women with a history of allergies, but with the goal of following their, their children until they're three years old and really trying to understand who is at highest risk you know, can we identify risk factors in prenatal life or very early in life so that we can use that to design better studies of prevention by being able to say this is the co- this is the group of, of babies or even, you know, prenatally that where we can focus our interventions to really test them. So that's one goal. Another goal is to identify factors that may be contributing to eczema and food allergy early in life that we can intervene on, environmental factors that we could change. And the third The third really exciting part is we're collecting a lot of bio samples. So we collect, you know, not just blood, but uh, skin microbiome, gut microbiome, urine, hair, to try to really paint a comprehensive picture to try to understand through, you know, in-depth immunologic studies and computational studies to try to understand the interplay between a bunch of these different things so that we can really better understand the mechanisms that are driving this early in life. And so that we can understand the biological underpinnings of of these diseases and, and intervene on them either, you know, prevention or treatment after they come. So the, you know, the impetus for this is that there have been some studies that have been successful at preventing food allergy, like the LEAP study, but that was really, already those infants had bad eczema when they introduced peanut for those. And in our study that Dr. Piston and I just published, where we tried to see in the U.S. how we could implement that most easily, we actually found that a lot of the babies who we enrolled, we enrolled about 200 babies with moderate to severe eczema who were uh, about seven months old as an average. And about 20% of them already had peanut allergy in our in our cohort so we think that for many infants you have to intervene earlier we definitely think introduction of foods is helpful but for, that's not necessarily going to do the trick for most for most infants so you need to really intervene earlier in terms of preventing eczema i think you know there's promising ideas but unfortunately some of the things haven't panned out as well as we thought things like applying moisturizer or other treatments really early in life hasn't turned out as well as we thought it would do or probiotics or various formula things. So we're hoping that the next generation of, you know, things we can design good studies to try to, to prevent those diseases.
1: So really fine tuning what we already know and trying to nail down, right, what we need to further and what we need to let go of.
4: Yes. Yeah, that can be hard, the letting go of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Corey, would you like to ask the next question? I
4: yeah,
2: I'd- and I, I'd love to just make a comment on the sunbeam, the sunbeam study. I'm so excited about it. I mean, I just think the interplay of all these different potential factors is so overwhelming, I think. Um, you know, we see a lot of suffering among these kids with eczema, the severe eczema, just not sleeping and itching out of school, the parents up all the time. The the, the burden of the treatments, the, the, the regimen, it's really debilitating for a lot of these kids and families. And so to get upstream of that obviously is a huge, huge interest of ours. And you're right, like the strategies that we've explored so far just have not panned out. Um, and as we think about it in our community, it's like, which one of these threads do we pursue? Like, is it genetics? Is it microbiome? Is it exposure to air pollution? Uh, You know, we just saw an article on wildfire triggering, you know, causing eczema flare. Um, It's it's really overwhelming (laughs) to kind of figure out like, you know, where do you focus? Um, And how do you tease out these different things to see how they're interrelated? So it's just so, it's really, really exciting for the community to see this study that's really gonna use the systems approach and looking at it from so many different angles to try and figure out you know, what are the most important factors to get upstream of this and understand that risk. Um, I think we are further along with food allergy prevention, so it's harder to think of strategies you would put in place once you knew the risk, but hopefully this will lead to, um, to us developing some new ones. So this is kind of a practical question, tapping the, the healthcare provider expertise that you both bring to the table, but How can parents of children with eczema know if their child is at risk for food allergy? Is there any biomarker or is there a test that can be done to really know if if they're at risk? Like you talked about barrier function, like is tape stripping something that's promising to help us understand like which of these kids we really need to be careful with? Um, Number one. And then number two, if your child is at risk of food allergy, assuming we can find that out, what can you do um, as a parent to avoid you know, that through the skin food allergy begins piece, those triggers that could lead to food allergy down the road?
3: I think my first, uh, my first recommendation would be find a pediatrician who you can talk to, who you feel comfortable sharing and who listens to you. Um, and developing a really great relationship with your primary care is gonna be really important. Um, and starting the process and the learning early is going to be really great. Um, Hopefully, families are being um, more and more aware of the change in the recommendations. We talked a little bit about how some of the old habits kind of die hard, um, and early 2000s, The recommendation for kids with eczema and the kids with other risk of of allergies was to delay introduction of foods, where now, luckily, people have published good studies that suggest, no, that's not the case. Early introduction is really important, um, and trying to get those foods like peanut on before the kid gets too old are something that's important. Now, in the United States, it's been a little challenging to implement this. Many of the allergists in our community, including Dr. Keaton and myself, have been trying to spread the word to primary care doctors because ultimately we don't see the kids until it's too late. So we see the kids once they've already developed some of these food allergies, but these prevention strategies can start in the first months of life and even during pregnancy. And that's part of what Sunbeam is going to help then put into the toolkit of the primary care doctor, who's going to be able to have these awesome conversations with families and make interventions before the allergies actually begin, Um, including planning and thinking about when they want to introduce some of these foods and not delaying the introduction because- it likely increases the chance that a kid might go on to develop a food allergy. And some of the risk it has been observed can be because of severity of eczema. So if there is a child who happens to have more severe eczema, that kid might be at more risk than a kid who has great skin and doesn't have eczema. And that's the kid who having this conversation with a pediatrician with then following some of the guidelines that currently exist for potentially learning more through screening with either a blood test or going to an allergist and having a skin test for now is um, what we got. And I'll pass that on to Dr. Keat and see, see what she has to add.
4: Sure. Yeah. The kids who really are at risk for food allergy are those kids who have in early life, meaning the first six months of life, have significant eczema. So the five year old who has persistent eczema is not a child. I would say as a parent, you should be worried, is that child, the five-year-old, have food allergy? You would already know. We're really talking about the babies before they've introduced. And I think we do have good data now that the earlier you can introduce these really allergenic foods, like peanut, egg, milk, probably wheat, uh, is better. And so, you know, I think in general, I would encourage people who have babies, who have significant eczema to talk to their pediatricians consultant allergist, but really be aiming to introduce foods in the sort of four to six months of age. And when I, when we say, what does it mean to have significant eczema? You know, we haven't, I think, totally answered that question as a field, but I would say, you know, if you have a baby has some patches of eczema on the face, that's not really what we're talking about with really significant eczema. We're talking about sort of more full body kind of involvement, which is not to say that there won't be Children that have less eczema that do have food allergies too, but those are the ones that are at the highest, highest risk.
2: Yeah. And I'll just say, listening to you both talk, I realize we have a lot of work to do in our community because what's going on is a baby is showing up with eczema and a parent's trying to figure out what's going on. And one of the first places they go to is food restriction um, for themselves Mm -hmm. or for the kid. And it just, it may be really end up being counterproductive, but it's part of that kind of searching the earth to, to find the, the cause and a
4: solution yeah. or something. Yeah. So I, I don't think we can emphasize enough that we think that that is counterproductive, exactly like what you're saying. We think that holding off on those foods will be much more likely that those kids will end up with this, a long-term allergy to those foods. And that starting them early, even though it might seem scary, is we do think is, is much more likely to end up with a good outcome in terms of not having food allergies.
2: Yeah. Thanks. And no problem interrupting me. I, my only, I think my only point was just like, this isn't just a few people doing this. This is like everybody.
4: (laughs) So like, we, we really need to get the word out um, to get upstream. Yeah. And like Dr. Pistner said, I think it hasn't necessarily reached all the pediatricians either, you know, which makes sense. They have so many things that they have to focus on. That's not their primary focus. And so well, I think it's absolutely important to talk to a pediatrician, I think sometimes parents have to be advocates too. And I think making sure us parent advocates have the right information
2: too, because quite honestly, my son is older now, but when he was like the, the age you're talking about, we were told to restrict. So if somebody asked me about it, you know, if I didn't know this information, I would perpetuate that, you know, that, that idea. Um, so just making sure us, you know, our, 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 peer groups are also up to date on the science is really important if parents need to be tapping you know, um, advocacy groups as well to get this information
4: if they can't get it from their pediatrician. Yeah. And, you know, just to say one more time in another way, the findings about preventing peanut allergy, you know, from that study were really impressive and not the kind of thing that we normally find in any kinds of these studies in terms of the magnitude of the effect. And so the evidence is really good for the, the helpful effect of introducing these foods early.
2: Corey, would you like to so wrap us up with a look ahead? I'd be happy to, I think just maybe before that though, just a couple of intriguing, I guess, tidbits from the parent and patient community that I think offer some insight into future directions. Um, one of them is we see kiddos on Dupilumab for eczema reporting that their food allergies have subsided. Um, so there may be some post-market surveillance that starts to give us some signal as to how that particular therapy could help with food allergies in the future. And then the other thing I wanted to mention just about the microbiome piece, there's the gut microbiome, but there's also the skin microbiome as well, which is distinct and as complicated. And we've heard from actually one of our guests that was on our our podcast, Dr. Thomas Bieber, who's looking at eczema phenotypes or subtypes of eczema and how to identify these different kinds of eczema. That there seems to be a window in early childhood, maybe in the same way that there's a window around food allergies, where the microbiome is in the skin is really important. And if you can rebalance it or address the staph overgrowth that we see in kids with eczema, you can really head off issues with eczema. But that window is narrow and we need to figure out what it is and what to do during that period in order to address the microbiome imbalance on the skin during that period. So just some intriguing areas for, I think, also a future research related to
4: those two topics. Great. Um, yes. We're very interested in the skin microbiome. That's one of the big areas of Sunbeam is looking at the skin microbiome.
2: So, yeah, I will close this out with kind of a forward looking and, and hopeful note, really just asking five years from now, given everything that's going on in, in the research arena around eczema and food allergies and prevention, what is treatment for these two conditions gonna look like? Any predictions Mm -hmm. give us
3: like?
4: Yeah.
3: I'm gonna work around that just a little bit. (laughs) I bet you that in five years, tons of pediatricians and family practice doctors are gonna know how to talk about a lot of this stuff. And so hopefully there aren't gonna be tons of interventions other than not mucking things up that are clinician colleagues are going to be able to do with hopefully simple education and new strategies for some of these prevention strategies.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think as you've said before, the kids with severe eczema, it is really hard. It has massive effects on quality of life and we are already getting the First steps, I think like let's do and some, you know, but I'm hopeful that for those kids who have very severe eczema, that we will have much more, you know, precision medicine, more choices that are really effective. I mean, we do have good eczema treatments, but generally I would say eczema is one of the things that we are not able to manage it as well as I would hope because it's just, it's really recalcitrant. And so I really think there there will be a lot more options for eczema in the future, in the near future, especially those really severe cases. For food allergy, I think there's just so much research happening right now that I really am hopeful that there's, that things look different in five years than they do now and that, my My hope is that we look back I look back at the beginning of my career you know with, with horror and <laughs> what we <laughs> well you know there are options that we had for food allergy treatment, and that we have just much better things that are able you know to keep it that we keep in mind what the goals are it's that we want treatments that are effective and safe and you know relatively easy to to do. And I think we are not yet at that point where we ha- we have some treatments, but they don't check all the boxes. So, so my my hope is that I'm telling you know the next generation, back in my day, and like, oh, that was really
2: <laughs> right. We use leeches too. <laughs> no, I, I I think that we will have that same reaction actually in terms of looking back on how we treat eczema. Yeah, it's very Absolutely. like blunt, you know, scattershot approach that did, doesn't take into account what's actually going on in the in the specific child. Um, but if you, think you have any, like, inflammation or redness, or whatever, it's eczema and do this, you know, like I think I think it'll, we'll have a really different approach in, in the future as well. So I definitely concur with that.
4: Yeah, I think for eczema, especially We treat it as if it's just one thing, and we know that some people respond well to this moisturizer, even on the basic things, this moisturizer, that moisturizer, don't respond well to moisturization.
1: And I would say the same with food allergies and with treatments, that we obviously are going to need more than one approach, depending on the type of child and how many comorbidities they carry and what their intersection is, which is what these panels are all about. It was wonderful to have all of you here today, and I want to thank everyone very much for participating in the Food Allergy Fund Summit. We'll we'll see you at the next summit.
2: Thanks for hosting.
0: Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast. To learn more and join Global Parents for Eczema Research, or to subscribe to this podcast, please visit us at parentsforeczemaresearch.org. Thank you, and we'll see you next time on the Eczema Breakthrough Podcast.